Welcome to Read My Lips Radio, a lively hour of unscripted conversations with savvy creatives. Producer and host, a.k.a. Radio Red, asks novelists, artists, photographers, designers, comedians, actors, musicians, composers, screenwriters, directors, and technology innovators about their creative passion, inspirational muses, and how they create. Ooh, how those lips can talk. Now, here's AKA okay, Radio good. Red. <laughs> it's always fun. the quiet one I worry about. <laughs> Stephen is one of my guests. He wasn't smiling much, and I asked him to dance, and now he's all over the place. I'm Radio Red. This is Monday night. For those of you who, who like me, are of the Jewish religion, we just closed the gate, inscribed us into another the book of life for another year. I wish all of you a year of health and happiness, joy, love, a lot of laughter, a lot of good thoughts, and being kind to each other. And that's what we're going to say. And I'm here to bring you some smile. So there we go. Read my lips, cool conversations with creatives. Not my real name, but I go by AKA Radio Red, all one word. And I come here and I don't They come from all walks of life. And I meet most of them at the National Marketing Summit. And I meet some of them for a very interesting woman who is a PR agent who sends me very, very interesting people. And we'll find out who that person is tonight. So let's quickly do, we have to do this, and I rehearsed with them, so it better be good. I want you all, I'm not even naming the three of you yet, but you've got to put up your hand. This is the entry point, the initiation to the show. In the letter L, and on the count of three, you're going to join me in saying, hello, LLL, just like I said it. One, two, three. Hello, LLL. Okay. LLL is lovely, lanky Laura Legs, our most loyal listener. She lives in Whitestone, New York, and I've been trying to move her to a place that starts with the letter L for two years now. And I, I looked all over the map, and I got Lexington, Kentucky, and Los Angeles. And then somebody said to me, hey, Red, you just moved to Loudoun, Tennessee. Move her down there. So we're trying to find her a house. And Stephen, it would be nice if she was <laughs> lovely, lanky Laura Legs, our most loyal listener in Loudoun or something like that. So she wanted to move to London, but it was too hot and much too expensive for me to pay for it. We've had a, a fake GoFundMe for three years for her. We just haven't raised enough money. So there you go. Today is September 25th. It's the 268th day of the year in the Gregorian calendar. Little story. I don't know whether it was Pope Gregory, but I think his mom probably called him Greg or Gregor or Greggy. And he looked at the Julian calendar years ago, like in the 1500s, and he said, no, I don't like it. Hey, they got the leap day in the wrong place. I'm going to move it once every 400 years. I'm going to put it here. I'm going to put it there. And he created the Gregorian calendar. So I call him one of our early creators because we're still using his calendar. So there. And by the way, there are 97 days left in the year and 39. This is the 39th Monday. Nobody cares about that except me. Okay. <laughs> Given that there are 97 days left, I'm going to name my guests now without reading their bios yet, and I'm going to tell you what you need to do. So, Stephen Long, I'll introduce you in a moment. Stephen, you look like the kind of guy who maybe has a relative or somebody who had a barn who had a still in the bootleg days and was making <laughs> bootleg whiskey. So I want you to find them, and you're going to go and, and wash out that still and get it ready because you're going to make the most fabulous non-bootleg whiskey in the world 
That means you don't have to pay taxes on it for New Year's Eve because it's going to be a big New Year's Eve. So that's it. Now, Dr. Julie Burke, I'm looking at you and I'm thinking you're the kind of gal who might like Kahlua or something like that. So I'm telling you, if you've got a sink in the garage, the laundry room, somewhere, a little pool in the backyard, you're going to start mixing the ingredients for really good Kahlua, but it takes a while. It just doesn't happen overnight. You've only got 97 days. Julie, I've warned you. Please make sure the Kahlua is ready for New Year's Eve. And Beverly Smyrnas, you look like the kind of lady who might like a something bubbly in a fancy bottle. And I'm telling you now that the online or the brick and mortar bubbly stores, meaning the liquor stores, whether you like it with booze or not, they're going to be selling out soon because we are still coming through that tunnel called COVID that we, it's back a little bit now, but those of us who made it through that tunnel, we're still celebrating in a big way on New Year's Eve. So Beverly, order something soon. So you've all got your marching. Stephen's laughing. I knew I'd say something. Uh, Stephen is the one who came to me through Mickey Mickelson. So shout out to Mickey. Thank you for bringing him. Now, let me tell you who my guests are. No, we're in Libra. I'm a Libra. Coming soon. I'll talk about it next week. I don't have the Libra, all the characterizations, but I will next week. So I have three nonstop creatives today, and I'm calling this show, even though they're all smiling and laughing, I'm calling this show Serious Creativity because you're all, oh, Stephen likes that, you're all seriously creative. Beverly's liking that. Julie's thinking about it. Okay. I have to name it something every week, you know? So Stephen Long, just wave hello. Stephen is the publisher of 12, that's the number one, two, 12, Willows Press. It's an environmental book publisher of fiction and nonfiction. He says he crafts literature that grapples with environmental challenges while fostering optimism. What the world needs now is optimism, Stephen. Thank you for a diverse readership ranging all the way from toddlers up to seniors. Stephen Long, nice to see you. You'll be giving us, filling in between those, my little commas and pauses there in a moment. Dr. Julie Burke, wave hello. Julie, well, she likes to call herself a thorn in somebody's side, and I'll tell you that wasn't a second. She worked almost 20 years at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office as a patent examiner. Those of you inventors out there, I know you might have wanted to talk to Dr. Julie Burke at some point, a quality assurance specialist, and she says she's a bona fide constant thorn in management side at the USPTO. And she she decided to go out on her own and she formed her own company called IP as an intellectual property, IP Quality Pro LLC. Dr. Julie Burke, can't wait to hear more from you. Thank you for joining me. I met you at the publicity summit, didn't I, Julie? Correct? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. That's where 90, well, it used to be 99%. Now with Mickey bringing me so many people, it's about uh, 92% of my guests come from there. And then we have Beverly Smyrnas. Beverly, wave hello. She spells wow. her name S-M-I-R-N-I-S, in case you're wondering. She hasn't been doing much at all. She started her own PR agency, and then she decided to work in magazine publishing, and then she decided to be an author, and she wants to be a blogger, which she's doing, and she's the host of something called the People Pursuing Passions podcast, which we're going to hear all about. And Beverly, I met you at the summit as well, correct? Mm-hmm. I, I, the reason I'm asking them is because I book 35 to 40 people every time I go to the summit and I do that four times a year and I fill three or four months of shows. So after a while, it's a blur where I met everybody, but I'm just glad we're keeping it straight. So I'm Radio Red, happy to be here. Let's go around the table and find out more. And a shout out to Andrew, my engineer, who's here with us tonight. So let's go around the table. Stephen Long, I'm going to put you on speaker view. We would be honored if you would fill in the blanks. Tell us about 12 Willows. When did you start as a publisher? How did you pick environmental topics? Stephen, welcome. Hi, glad to be here. Um, I've started 12 Willows earlier this year, and um, it uh, is actually something that I uh, wanted to do for many, many years. Uh, I started uh, book publishing when I got out of college, 
and um, I had worked for a small book publishing company in Chicago. And after a couple of years, I thought I could really try doing this myself uh, because I was working, it was a small company and I was wearing so many hats. So I was working with the authors and I was uh, work, uh, um, developing the text, designing it, working with the covers, working with the printers. And it was a, it was a really awesome experience. So I tried uh, founding the, 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 the press, but it didn't work because this is before printing on demand was available. And so I didn't have any room to store um, books in my uh, small apartment in Chicago. So I had to put that on the, the back burner for a few years and then 20 years passed by and then here I was. Um, environmental was really something that um, I'd, I've always really been um, in tune to basically my whole life, but I didn't really think about going environmental until I was in grad school about two, three years ago. And I was working on some projects and I was noticing how I, everything was environmental based. And I thought, Hmm. Okay. So one thing kind of led to another and it's like, well, I think the thing that I could do the best is, is doing something environmental. So that's how I came into doing the environmental. Tell me, you say your audience, your target market goes from toddlers to seniors. How do you, how do you apportion your books, fiction and nonfiction? Just give me a little more, Stephen. How do you pick your authors? Well, actually they pick me. Um, oh. it, yeah. So, I mean, I, uh, there's a, a handful of websites that I, I, I registered my company on and lo and behold, the people started uh, submitting uh, submissions to me. And so I wasn't going to be doing children's books actually. Um, but early on, I ended up getting like two or three really, really fantastic manuscripts. And I told my wife, it's like, there's no way that I could turn these back. So um, I took the plunge. And so, and it seems to be that the majority of the manuscripts I am doing are children's. But yeah, so I, I don't I don't seek them out. They they always come to me. Build it and he will come, right? Field mm -hmm. of dreams. There we go. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Stephen. Do you have a, a favorite uh, children's book author? And are you going to be writing a kid's book anytime soon yourself? Uh, no, no, I'm not going to be doing one too soon. I'm horrible with names, actually, but it's the fandom toll booth is my all time favorite children's book. Thank you very I read much. That one, I read it regularly. There you go. Glad you got something to read, Stephen. <laughs> you asked yeah, I got a few one. things. You set me up for that one. Let's go around the table to Dr. Julie Burke. Dr. Julie, you said once I introduced you five times with the word doctor, I could just call you Julie, but I want to be respectful. A lot of doctors in my family of all levels. So Dr. Julie Burke, welcome. So nice to have you here. It's been a couple months since I met you at the summit, and I'm going to put you on speaker view and ask you to please regale us with your background. I want to hear about that thorn in the side of the USPTO especially. Julie, welcome. Welcome, Radio Red. Very happy to be here with Beverly and with Stephen. I uh, have a science degree in uh, biochemistry, and as, as we do during careers, I've just happened to reinvent myself several times. And inventions, inventions are so important. Washed up at the Patent and Trademark Office and had 20 good years there working in an area of um, biotech chem pharma patents. And there's so many advances coming out. It is so interesting how the Patent Office can drive innovation, can bring new products into American life and help the U.S. economy for sure. But the undercurrent is there's a lot of um, uh, dysfunction at the Patent Office and I was raised by these parents who always taught us just to speak up and speak your mind and stand up and say things. And I was always that one, that one who would be approaching management and talking about this, that, and the other thing till I guess at one point I might've just gone over the edge a little bit. And uh, 
tumbled out of that office, worked as a patent agent at a law firm for five years. And then right before COVID, I started my own IP consulting business. I do uh, consulting on small projects, uh, patent prosecution. And also I've been expert witness in court on patent policy and procedure, enjoying that very much. On the side, I write blog articles, um, rattle their cage. I try to muckrake a bit and point out areas where the office could improve things for the U.S. inventor. And I'm, I'm very passionate about that. And all of that whole background began with fiber art. And I have behind me quilts that I've made and uh, tablecloths. And you wonder, how do you go from that to this? And happy to talk about that today. Tell me a little more. How do you go to fiber art? Let's let's pretend you just are. Hello, Dr. Julie Burke. I understand you do a lot of fiber art. So give me a, give me 30 seconds on fiber art. Go ahead. Oh, my gosh. As a little girl, I learned how to crochet. And you think that has nothing to do with science. But crocheting is just a linear thread with stitches. There's a variety of stitches. You can combine them in a variety of ways, sequencing. And, it, you know, it's just like DNA. Four nucleotide bases. You can combine them together in different orders one after another, after another, you can make a string of them. Uh, biochemistry, DNA makes RNA, RNA makes protein. Protein, you've got 21 stitches, and those can be combined together in a variety of ways. You've got a huge diversity of outcomes that can happen. And protein doesn't stay linear, it folds. And when it folds, it folds into these tremendous 3D structures. That's called all the molecules in your body, your receptors, your messenger molecules that interact with each other in good ways and in bad ways. And that's that 3D structure. It's, it's very interesting. And so when I look at the science, I'm just always brought back to this, this linear arrangement that can then be turned into a 3D arrangement. And that gives us the function and the structure that we need. I've never heard fiber art or knitting or crocheting described quite that way. I feel like I just took a master class in the science of, of uh, fiber doing whatever you do. Thank you. Next time I pick up a crochet hook, I'm just going to have a whole different perspective, Dr. Julie Berg. Thank you. Yes, I have that too. A lot of that. Thank you very much. Interesting. Let's go to Beverly Smyrna. Beverly, welcome. So happy to have you here. You, like Julie, waited a long time to get on the show, and I appreciate that. So Beverly, you're on speaker view talk to us what do you do who are you and tell me the whole thing well i everything that i do involves writing um and i wear a lot of different hats um i still publish a magazine and i do a lot of blogging um i've written two books and just launched a new podcast and and working on a screenplay so um lots of different lots of different things going on at one time so I want to know about the screenplay. I want to know about what you write. I want to know about your people pursuing passion pie. Come on, give me some more. Dish some more. Come on, Beverly. Okay. Yeah, well, um, uh, the screenplay that we're working on is is a historical fiction. I, I fell in love with that that type of um, uh, literature uh, in, in doing a, a book that was based on truth. I have a co-author, and we wrote two books, one called Anna from Atlanta, the other called Anna of Iowa. And they were set in the Great Depression. And the first one was set in the Great Depression and the second in um, World War II. And I just, you know, I never was, you know, history class was something. I guess I just never had a really great history teacher because I never was really that fascinated with history until I, until I undertook this project. And 
the stories, the real stories that you can find and tie into your fictional characters and when you're doing historical fiction, there's nothing more interesting than the truth, especially World War II. There were some really cool things that I uncovered. I just couldn't even believe it. Like um, my, um, my co-author wanted to, there was a real live person that lived in the town where this real, our hero of the story was a lady named Anna. And um, she lived in Marshalltown, Iowa. And there was a magician that lived there named T. Nelson Downs. Um, and my co-author, Catherine Team said, we got to tie in T. Nelson Downs. I forgot about him in the first book, but he's probably the most famous resident in Marshalltown, Iowa. So I started doing some research on the guy and I found out that he had died before World War II. And there are some old timers in, in Marshalltown, Iowa, that would have called us out if we tried to bring T. T. Nelson Downs back at the wrong time. So I created his son. And then I'm like, well, still, how are we going to tie this to the story? So I, I Googled, have magicians ever been involved in war? And I found the most fascinating story. So, of course, his backstory is the fact that he worked in Europe on this uh, magic team that created illusions to make the Germans think that they had a lot more ships in the harbor than they really had. That's a wow. I want to know a little bit about your, well, you know, back in the day, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Google. We didn't have Bing. We didn't have all those search engines. We didn't have just type in a couple words and answers came to you. You would have had to go to the library, look mm -hmm. on microfiche, find some dusty reference books in the back, ask a librarian for help, gone through the, gone through the caves, gone through the stacks, and then check something out or taking pictures, uh, Xerox pictures, or we didn't have cell phones. I, I must sound like I come from the dark ages, but somebody told me there was a time when there was no internet. We didn't have it easy. I want to know one more thing. Beverly, people pursuing passions. What is that? Yeah. So I interview people from all walks of in the, the various industries that, you know, they could be authors or filmmakers. Um, uh, a lot of them, you know, one of the publications that we do is home building, home building, um, you know, builders and people that make our housing. There's a lot of passionate people in that industry. It's, it's one of the top industries in America. And um, there's, you know, people, you know, people that are involved with the charities here, um, there's, you know, that are extremely, uh, you know, passionate about their military service and want to help other military families and it, people that are in the, in the fashion and beauty industry that are passionate about what they do. So it, it's really is a, you know, I really tried to, to pick people for the first season that we we've taped the whole first year of podcast, uh, episodes over the summer. And, um, I try to pick people from the different diversity of the types of things that I write about my different audiences. Um, and, and people that are pursuing passions are, are successful, not only they're, they're successful because really, you know, a lot of times you think of success being their career, but their career isn't necessarily who they are. Ultimately, they're just as passionate about who they are as a person and their family and their, their spouse and their, you know, their kids and, and things like that too. I think, too many people just define their success in life by their career. And, you know, I, and I believe in order to really be successful, you have it all. That was beautifully put very, very well. We're all, we're all nodding. Thank you very much, Beverly. Sounds like there might be a little bit of an overlap 
or intersection of the people you talk to and the, the people I talk to. I don't do interviews anymore. I do the roundtables. But I want to tell you, talking about success, many, 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 many years ago, when I first started doing radio on WGBB AM 1240, the oldest AM terrestrial station on Long Island, New York, and I was doing a drive-time show just an hour every Friday, and I went to a singles dance. I was looking in those days, and at some country club, they had these big dances, you know, places with all the rooms, and you'd pay 20 bucks to get in. They had a buffet and all that crap, and okay bar anyway so i met somebody he said what do you do i said well i i do a radio show and he said to me and you're gonna get this right away beverly he said do you get paid and i said no i trade my time for my experience with the station which normally would charge it was the the time of the evening was vanity radio but i was doing the bridge show it was owned by the chinese radio network during the day and the bridge was it went into people buying time in the evening so I got to do, I was asked to do this show for the experience. So I didn't pay them, they didn't pay me, but I didn't get paid. And this person said, oh, then you couldn't be any good. (laughs) Yeah, so I said, I'm definitely not dating him. But the point is that here we are, fast forward about 30 years later, and me under my other name, I have created, produced, and hosted 55 radio series since the year 2011 and some of them are some of the top shows in technology in the world so i guess (laughs) i guess he was wrong (laughs) so let's move on thank you ladies and gentlemen for your bios i appreciate that just delightful to get to know you i never quite know uh stephen and julie and beverly i never know what i'm going to learn about my guests when you come on in that brief three or four minutes of talking about yourself so many things are uncovered i never knew Julie would relate hand, hand fiber arts to a, to a DNA and an RNA chain. I will never, never look at my crochet and knitting needles again the way I used to, Julie, I promise. Okay, let's go to the opening quotes. I've asked you each to send me a quote from a fictional character in a movie or a TV show or a song lyric. We've got a little smattering here, so let's see. Stephen Long, I'm going to read your quote with a little bit of background, and then I want you to unpack it and tell me what it has to do with your creativity or your POV on creativity. You have picked a quote from Professor John Keating. We all know played by the late, great, absolutely brilliant Robin Williams, who left us way too early. The movie, of course, is Dead Poet Society, 1989, American teen drama film. Film. I always thought it was much more than a teen drama film. I feel that that's a wrong classification. Anyway, said in 1959, it's a fictional elite all-male conservative Vermont boarding school called the Welton Academy. It's a story of Keating, an English professor teacher who inspires students through teaching of poetry and who this young man was and what he said to them and and the way he encourages his students he uses the latin phrase carpe diem make your lives extraordinary boys he says so here is the quote Stephen has picked from the many many quotes you could have no matter what anybody tells you words and ideas can change the world Stephen, beautiful choice tell me what does this have to do with your creativity like we can't figure it out but go ahead amuse me steven well i i would have to say that it has everything to do with it Absolutely. um uh you know i mean uh, i i've i've been gravitating to books since i was a little kid and i've always been really fascinated with them and, and actually i went into publishing thinking that i wanted to become a writer and thought well if i become an editor i might be able to have a better luck of being able to meet writers and get published well i ended up falling in love with editing and and one thing pushed came to another um, but what does that have to do with my creativity? Um, well, it's just the power of the word. It's it's always interesting whenever I uh, begin working with an author, the ideas that they present to me, and and how how they they 
figure out how to approach a topic, whether it's something for kids. I'm working at one of my books. It's uh, an event happened in their, their community with the, with the fox. And so they turned it to a children's book. Um, someone else had a dream and someone else was camping and they saw these loons. And so it led to a story. I'm just always intrigued at how um, they're able to take these ideas and then transform them into something else. Where I come into play is taking these ideas and then actually kind of taking the concept of it and actually producing something that you could hold and flip and toss across the room if need be. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. As I read the quote, it dawns on me that it could have been written the other way, ideas and words can change the world. Because if yeah. you think an idea, something that's cerebral or in your heart that hasn't been expressed, but when you put it into words, that's when you're changing the world. I, I just, I never thought about it. We're going to have to go back to the writers and tell them, okay, from 1989. You, you can contact them first, Stephen, because you're in the publishing industry. Thank you very much, Dr. Julie Perk. I'm looking at your quote. You picked a quote from CIA Deputy, you like official titles, don't you? CIA Deputy Director Jack O'Donnell, played by Brian Cranston. Well, don't we all love him? The movie is Argo, 2012 historical drama thriller film. Uh, let's see, directed, produced by, and starring Ben Affleck. Screenplay was adapted from a 1999 memoir, The Master of Disguise, by CIA operative Tony Mendez and, and an article in Wired. The story of the Canadian caper, where Mendez led the rescue of six U.S. diplomats from Tehran, Iran, under the guise of filming a sci-fi film during the 1979-81 Iran hostage crisis. And here's the quote Julius picked. This, this is a doozy. I got to see what you do with this one, Julie. It's, this is the best idea we have, sir. By far. Okay, Julie, give me the nuance here because I don't know the movie. Rescue me. <laughs> this is the best bad idea we have. Oh, I'm sorry. The best bad idea. Let me read it again. This is the best bad idea we have, sir, by far. I I was having too much fun. Julie, talk to me. It's that idea sometimes you find yourself in very, very difficult situations where any direction you turn might not be good. It might actually be very bad. And as a creative, sometimes I find I can find myself in a rut and I'm creative. So I start decorating. You just stay in that rut and decorate away, you know, make some little doilies, you know, just keep, keep. But sometimes you got to just pop out and try something crazy different. What I really like about that movie, Argo, I was um, lived many years inside the Beltway where there was that cloak and dagger, that political espionage, that sort of stuff was going on in the in the neighborhoods. And yet they had to turn to the creatives as a solution. They had to go into the movie and film business. They had to completely jump into a whole nother arena. And what's so cool is this idea that we shouldn't be afraid to just try something completely new. I mean, after all, amateurs built the ark. The Titanic was built by the professionals. I mean, just think about what amateurs can do when they're out in the world trying something new for the first time and all the passion that comes from that and the failures. And there will be tragic failures. There definitely will be tragic failures, but just give it a try. And it's that excitement that I like. And that's what I see in the inventors and in the inventor community. People are seeing a problem that they've just pounded their head against the wall for so long. And they're saying there has to be a better way. And Maybe it's a bad idea, but let's give it a try. Maybe that'll lead to something different. The best bad idea we've had 
so far by far sir already yes thank you i'm, I'm going to have that tattooed on a pillow not on my arm on a pillow i'm going to be working with the inventor smart community tv show julie really? i'm going to be doing interviews i know um, brian freed f-r-i-e-d uh, is a friend of mine from new york and he started the national inventors club and he has guests from the u.s patent uh, uh trademark office on his monthly series his monthly uh, podcast and uh, he's going to bring me in to do some of the interviews so I'm meeting some interesting people I would be happy to make an introduction if you'd like to them so Thanks. let's go on my pleasure Beverly Smyrnas let's see what you've got for us oh this is one of our favorites Forrest Gump played by Tom Hanks what great actors the three of you have picked Forrest Gump of course 1994 epic comedy drama Directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by Eric Roth, based on Winston Groom's 1986 novel. Of course, stars Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, Mileki Williamson, Sally Field. She just shows up everywhere. Several decades in the life of a slow-witted and kind-hearted Alabama man named Forrest Gump and his experiences in 20th century United States. He recounts his life story to strangers who sit near him on a bus stop bench. And here's the quote. I'm going to do a little bit of an accident. My mama always said... Life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Hope I didn't kill that one. Beverly, <laughs> what does this have to do with you? Go ahead. I, well, I just think I, I love, you know, the the parody, the, um, the the unlikely hero that Forrest Gump was. I, I think, um, you know, when I first started working on the two book series that I that I wrote, when I first read the first real story of the person, Anna, um, I said to the lady that had th these stories came from her family. And I said, you know, I see the feather. The, I don't know if you remember the feather in, in the forest Gump that comes down and they have this little song. And I, I said, this, this is forest Gump. This is the unlikely hero. This is the, you know, the, the Southern lady that, you know, against all odds moves to Marshalltown, Iowa. And, and she takes care of a child who's severely handicapped. And, and um, in, in that day, people didn't really see children like that. They were put away. And this child and this woman had a profound impact on the people that they were around because, because they were, they demanded respect and, and people understood that they, they, you know, they deserve to have the dignity that they did. And I think Forrest Gump teaches that lesson as well. You know, you don't, you don't know who, um, who can have the lasting impact on a person's life. So that's Absolutely. why I love Forrest Gump. And I, I, I love the humor in it and the satirical um, way that it's done. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And I agree with you. And I think the use of the, the metaphor of the box of chocolates, who hasn't remembered that line? Come on. Yeah. It's probably one mm -hmm. of, there might be a handful of iconic movie lines. Show me the money. You're going to need a bigger boat. You can't handle the truth. And life is like a box of chocolates. Did I pick four of the, those are four of my top of mind when everybody, and build it and he will come. I think those are the top five. Uh, by the way, uh, the line from Jaws, uh, we're going to need a bigger boat, comes from the fact that the producers, and I forget the name of somebody very famous, were so cheap that the craft boat and the, and the support boat, and they were too small, and they weren't going to be able to withstand. They were rocking around, and somebody said, I think it was, uh, it was the actor who said that, he said, you're going to need a bigger boat, and it stuck. It was ad-libbed. 
Roy Scheider, and he kept using it during the movie. When it came time to edit the movie, there was a female editor in the final cutting room, and she said, you know, I like that line, I'm leaving it in. It became one of the top movie quotes in the entire history of the American Film Institute of movie quotes. So you're going to need a bigger boat was just an ad lib. That was it. So anyway, very interesting. Thank <laughs> you very much. I, I still I'm ready for chocolate. Okay, so let's go to thank you all for the interesting quotes. Let's go to your creativity statements. I'm going to pick one from each of you. I will read it slowly. You don't have to worry. You don't have to go look for it and ask you to just unpack it. If you have anything to say to add about what each other is saying, just wiggle one of your polite fingers at me and I will see you. Julie likes that one. I went through some instructions before we went on the air so they know more about that. So Stephen, I'm picking your first one. This is a beautiful statement here. You say, as a book publisher, creativity is the heartbeat of my role. It's the art of transforming words into worlds, worlds, ideas into narratives, manuscripts into captivating journeys. I'm not going to read the rest of it. I'd like to hear it in your own words about imagination and pushing the boundaries. So, Stephen, tell us more. This It's a beautiful statement as your role. Tell us what do you do as a publisher to help your authors? Well, you know, I mean, I spent many years working as an editor, working with with writers, and uh, so I would work intimately with them, and and, and I really love the written word, and I'm really nerdy about that. Um, but I and I, I help put a lot of books together, but it was always yeah at the phase where it would go on to book production, and then someone else would handle it. Uh oh, you sort of here we go. <laughs> Who is this? Who is this? Introduce this is this is Cole. C O L E Cole. K-O-H-L. K-O-H, excuse me. See, that's yes, why we spell yes. things. K-O-H-L, yeah. that's, that's a very dark color, right, Cole? Yes, yes. He's a, he's a Russian blue, a, a rescue that we got many years ago. So Beautiful. Hello, Cole. Welcome to <laughs> Read My Lips, Cool Conversations with Cool Cole Kitties. How's that? <laughs> he's also featured on my website, too, as one of my staff members. Well, give the website quickly now so people can. Uh, 12willispress.com. 12, the number, 1, 2. Yeah, Willow. 1, 2. Went to willowspress.com. All right, plural on Willis. Thank you very much for introducing Cole. Now go back to telling me about your quote. That was very, very cool, Steve. Goodness, where was I there? Um, I'm you were talking about you were in, in, an editor for many, many years and helping oh, your okay. writers along the journey as a publisher. Go ahead. Yeah, so I, I, I just really loved uh, working with words. But um, in this capacity, I'm able to uh, take manuscripts and and talk with the writers and ask them, well, what exactly were you thinking about this? And sometimes it's like, well, I kind of had this idea, and it's kind of a push and a shove, and and it's 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 an amazing process to see how it how it comes how it unfolds. I I liken it to really kind of being a conductor because I'm working with someone who does the illustrations, I'm working with the author, I'm working with the cover designer, and so all these people that are coming in, they have different ideas. I have my own ideas, and some of them. You know, some of them mess, some of them don't. And so it's really fun just trying to bring things together to see what actually uh, comes out. And uh, it, there's some disagreements, of course, uh, but it's it's always that we want to just try getting the best product uh, forward. Um, so that's a lot of fun. And so I really feel like a conductor and it just, it just or like a chef. Or I, there's so many analogies that you could actually kind of pull into play, but um, I don't know. I, I love classical music. And so I could just, sometimes I feel like a conductor just 
pulling on his violins and this and this and that and and sounds kind of corny i know but <laughs> it doesn't it sounds wonderful it doesn't sound corny my question is when you have a disagreement and you want a certain illustration style and the author says that's not what i envisioned Stephen. that's not what i want and you are sure that it's going to make more money with that style or it's going to be more popular or more readers or a, a broader readership what, what I'm, I'm searching for some metrics here uh, mm -hmm. who who wins that argument would you still publish the book if they disagree with you on something as key as style or the title of the book Stephen? who wins uh well no word. it might not be the right word go ahead well I, I would say well the contract has me making the final decision because i mean i just have to be able to make the final decision um if push comes to shove but i really don't want to play that card if i don't have to um the authors many of them have spent years working on these books and so i mean i you could call them babies whatever you want but i mean they've spent so much time and so I want to work with them to make certain that whatever it is they envision uh, comes to play. Sometimes uh, what they're thinking may not really mesh with how things should should come out, but you know we 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 make tweaks tweaks refinements and we we come to an idea, uh, to uh, uh, an agreement, a compromise. Yes. It's like a marriage, right? <laughs> In many I'm right. You're wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. is, and you you both want to go forward, staying in that marriage. Very and sometimes, interesting. And sometimes yeah. to tell the authors, like, just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust so, me. I yeah. don't think I've ever asked that question of a publisher before. So this is a new new area for me. Thank you very much. When I get ready to publish my book after a year and a half of writing, I might call you, even though it's not environmental, <laughs> but in a way it is. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Thank you very much. Ladies, anything you want to say to Stephen? Are we good? Looks like we're good. Okay, let me go on. Dr. Julie Burke, I'm picking your prediction. My business show, it's predictions. Your statement number two. This is interesting. Uh, I think there's a lesson in here, which we don't usually do on the show, but I'd like it to be coming out. You say, my grandma Jim, and you have to tell us who your grandma Jim is. Grandma Jim used to say necessity is the mother of all invention. Yet mothers and women are often not acknowledged or encouraged for their creative efforts. These days, after 30 years of progress, women represent only one three thirty percent of US patent holders so let's talk a little bit about getting girls oh, girls into creativity into stem into figuring out that a crochet is just a linear line that looks like a DNA oh we've got to go teach that lesson Julie take us a little bit through this without getting preachy I just want your take on this please go ahead oh thank you I'm very very excited about this idea that um, we are ready women girls boys too, are already doing all sorts of things that lead towards invention, but that might not fall under the classic STEM category. I mean, I know we need our science, technology, engineering, and uh, medicine, but cooking, all the math that goes on in cooking. I mean, think about that. And quilting, my love. I mean, there's geometry in that. There's uh, sequencing, there's patterns, there's spacing, it's design elements are already happening. There's just so many ways people can get into the inventive field that does not have to involve physics or that hardcore stuff there. And women have gotten patents over the years. I'm just really um, thrilled about the idea that uh, Margaret Knight invented the brown paper bag. I mean, that was just an invention needed, something you could have that could carry things that could be folded up. That And she invented the machine that folded that all up. That was way back in 1860. And one of my favorites is Melita Bent's coffee. Back in the day, it was either the percolator or the Italian espresso 
or they did have linen filter coffee bags where you put your grounds in there, but those were so hard to clean. She took her um, son's notebook block paper and made the Melita filter. And that was back in 1909. And uh, to this day, I love, and it gets her first name is out there. We don't call it the Benz filter. We call it the Melita filter. And I think that's just really pretty cool. And another inventor I really like over here, this would be um, Mary Anderson. She invented the windshield wiper back in 1902. And before then, they had to like put their hand out the window with a rag or something to get the sleet or snow off the window. But no car company would adopt it. These are all women that got patents on these inventions back in the day. Cadillac in 1922 finally adopted the windshield wiper. And there's things we see in our everyday life that women have already invented and turned in, became entrepreneurs and started businesses. And I bet they didn't start out with that outcome in mind. I bet they were just thinking, I've got a problem on my hands. Josephine Cochran, she invented the dishwasher, the mechanical dishwasher, and uh, first went to sell it in hotels because there's a lot of dishes in hotels. And that was way back in the day. What's that? 1886. I mean, that's pretty impressive. So I feel like we've got some really strong shoulders to stand on and can move forward and progress can happen. And that progress will make women's lives better. It'll make men's lives better, too. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate that. When you were talking about windshield wipers, you know, the story of, of the Mercedes-Benz car, his wife bankrolled that car, and she was the first one to drive in it. And he went way out in the country. He said, I need somebody to know that I can take the car and it'll go this far. And she was the money behind the first Mercedes-Benz. So I don't know how many people know that. Anyway, thank you very much. That was very nicely done, Julie. Very, very nicely done. Thank you for having your facts and figures. I'm glad I picked that one. You didn't know which one I was going to pick. Let's mm -hmm. go to statement number four from Beverly Smyrnas. I like this one. Beverly says, I believe in constant and creative reinvention of ourselves. For example, this is, I'm speaking as Beverly. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use third person. It's easier. She resists living life according to the expected norms of a particular age group. Everybody hang on to your hats. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> she told her high school class, made she couldn't go to any more reunions because she changed her birth year <laughs> beverly had her grandson convinced quote i was a kid and not a grown-up life can be whatever you make it through creative make-believe i don't know how you got away with that but i love it beverly talk to us this is cool go ahead yeah, my grandson he just started kindergarten and i told him they're gonna let me start over in school i'm gonna be in your class and he, he calls me yaya um and he says, yeah, yeah, they're not going to let you in. <laughs> so I think he's, he's realizing that I'm not a kid now. But, um, but we had a lot of fun um, playing. And, and he told me one time, like, don't tell the grownups, but we're going to do this today. And I'm like, oh, good. I won't tell them. <laughs> so um, I, just, I just believe that, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, like, give up on taking care of themselves. And, and they resign to, oh, I'm supposed to feel slow and bad and and I can't exercise anymore and I'm just supposed to get old and and dress like an old lady at a certain time <laughs> and let my skin go and all these things and I feel like you should just fight it fight it like hell till you know as long as you can you know 
Well, if you ever come to where I live and you go to the supermarket on a Sunday and you see everybody in t-shirts and shorts and you'll see a lady getting out of a really sharp looking BMW black convertible sports car with her red drummer boots on and with her red hair blazing and lipstick and makeup and she's wearing a black dress and leggings and jewelry and she walks in like, hello, I'm here to do my shopping, the heck with you. She doesn't look like anybody else. I wonder who she is. She doesn't look like anybody else in the whole store. And people are afraid to look at her because like, what's she doing here? Where'd she come from? I don't know. Maybe she's a movie star. Anyway, people do talk to me in the parking lot once in a while. Bravo, Beverly. This is this is true. And they always say it's how you feel. It's not what your birth certificate says. How do you get away with you don't go to your reunions because you tell people you're too old for me? How do you get away with that? Come on. Everybody wants to know. Give a dish a little here. Go ahead. I'm just teasing my friends because, you know, I'm like, well, you know, since I, I, I do kind of change my birth year sometimes on registrations, if it's not a, something official or whatever, you know, why should you admit it? So there you go. There, there you go. If you can get away with it, get away. Thank you all for the first round. We have a little more time. Stephen, I'm picking your statement number four. I don't usually do two per, but I let's see if we can squeeze some more in here. So Stephen says, his creativity transforms him into an explorer of curiosities. I love the word curiosity. Like an insatiable child, Stephen frequently asks, why? This impulse guides him along unexpected avenues, unlocking doors to uncharted territories he never imagined taking. The thrill of discovery fuels his creativity, infusing each idea with the exhilaration of possibility. This was gorgeous, Stephen. This is just beautiful <laughs> what you wrote here. This is, I'm in a poetry group. I want to use this one. I won't, I promise. Anyway, tell us about this exhilaration of possibility and uh, taking, going into uncharted territories. How does that work for you, Stephen? Well, you know, uh, I, uh, there's sometimes I just don't really know what to anticipate when any and when, when any of my weeks start. Uh, a Monday or Tuesday rolls around, an email will come in, and there'll be an opportunity or uh, an author has an idea. Um, back June, uh, this past June, I was I went to a writers group meeting, and I met a writer. And a few weeks later, he reached out to me, and he was like, "Steve, I'm going to be uh, putting this festival together in Bangor, Bangor, Maine, and I want to know if you'd be interested in maybe uh, putting an anthology together." And I have an idea about how hard it is to be able to put a book together in not even six months' time. And I didn't have the material. I would have to be call, doing a call for submissions, and I'm a new press. No one's going to care a whit about me. Um, but I said, what the hell? Let's do it. So um, uh, so yeah, we, we decided on, on the topic of what we're going to be doing and just kind of pushed forward on that. And so it's really been interesting. Uh, this is just one aspect of it, but how things are coming together. I have the, 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 the submissions in, and now I'm trying to get an, an introduction and an afterword. And so it's getting me to reach out to different people. Um, I, it just gets me to, to open up and try different things. Um, I'm, I'm working with uh, people of uh, Native American tribes, um, with this book. Um, the children's books is another opportunity. I, I wasn't going to be doing, I never worked on children's books as in, in my career. Um, so this is a totally new opportunity for me. And I'm working with illustrators and tell them it's like, you know, guys, I don't really know the terminology. Can you go in ahead and, you know, help me out here? And everyone is really been understanding. So it's just, uh, 
taking the, 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 having the courage to actually take the plunge and actually jump into doing something is, is really gutsy. And there's some days where I, I left my job, my part-time job uh, about two months ago. And so I'm doing this full time and it's something I truly believe in. And uh, some days I'm kind of like, I'm pretty crazy doing this. And, uh, you know, the voices are pretty loud. Um, but in other days, I get a really good manuscript in or I get a good comment from one of my authors or something happens to them. They're really excited. And then I realize, you know what? I know what I'm doing this and, and why I'm doing this and the reasons uh, that come from this. So it's all good. And just take the plunge and see what happens. The exhilaration of possibility. I had a guest a couple of years ago in the show, Stephen and, and Beverly and Julie, and she called it courageous creativity would you say that you're doing courageous creativity Stephen, with your leap of faith i would have to say so yeah yeah isn't that apt we also talk about curious creativity i think you're all talking about that as well and going into places we've never been before doing things i was very shy growing up i didn't want my parents to sit in a restaurant table in the middle i want to sit on the court no it wasn't mafia but i I wanted to see i didn't want anybody to see me it wasn't me seeing who was coming in i i didn't want anybody to see me and and (laughs) i know i'm a full-time radio host uh with people hearing me all over the world and it's it's such a transformation but somehow i'll tell you where where the transformation happens Stephen, you will get a kick well, actually, you all get a kick out of this. It was, I think, a seventh grade English. I'm pretty sure it was Mr. McCollum. He was very strict. We learned sentence diagramming. Oh, we learned the real details of stuff. And we were supposed to give a report in front of a book report, something in front of the class. So I picked Irma Bombauer's The Joy of Cooking, my mother's cookbook that she had on the shelf. And I picked a bread baking recipe, of all things. <laughs> and I, I didn't memorize it, but I had the book with me, and I prepared little... Uh, index cards and I presented it to the class. For some reason, I suddenly loved standing up in front of the class talking. And when it was my turn to sit down, I didn't want to sit down. I got reprimanded by the teacher for using a copyrighted recipe that I was supposed to cover it was a what? I won't tell you what year this was, but what? But I was bitten by this thing. Instead of being afraid of talking in class, I wanted to do it. It excited me. It was something. So l- let me just quickly, we have uh, seven minutes left and I have something I want to do. But Julie, you want to, Dr. Julie Burke, talk just for a little bit to what Stephen said about taking that plunge, that exhilaration of possibility. Can you address what that means to you? And then Beverly, you'll go. What do you think, Julie? Anything? Well, I'll give this a try. What I really liked about your last um, sentences is the idea that it's not about us. It's about our stories. You know, it's not about us it's the passion we have for our projects and our stories and that's where at least I come alive around that because no I don't want to be on camera I don't want to be the center (laughs) of any attention whatsoever I but the story is so important to me I've got to feel like I've got to get these stories out and so that's that's where I've got that it's it's almost I don't want to die complicit without getting the story out, right? It would be Whoa. on me if I didn't get these things out. So that's where I'm getting my passion from. That's interesting. Beverly, thoughts about having the courage? You've certainly had courage to do so many things, like trying to fit historical figures into books that people won't be mad at you about. Beverly, talk for a minute. <laughs> Uh, for sure. Like, um, yeah, you just really have to, you really have to just take the plunge. And I, I learned, you know, you, you can't, seek approval from anybody else on your idea they'll always they'll always knock it down like so if you have an idea that you believe in don't go around asking other people if they think it's okay if you proceed just do it 
The circle of three Fs, the families, friends, and fools. Those are the ones you don't want to ask for money first, but maybe you have to. Okay, let's go to some celebrity birthdays. I didn't know. Well, first of all, today, there's a married couple in Hollywood who are still married, and they have the same birth date, even though they are 25 years apart. It's Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. I forgot that. Both born September 25th. He's 79 today. She's 54. Oh, my. There's a quarter of a century for you. He won the Academy Award for Best Actor for the 1987 film Wall Street. He reprised it in 2010 in Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. He's been in everything and everything and everything. And I didn't know this, but he produced the 1975 film One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, for which Jack Nicholson won the Actors Best Actor Oscar. I didn't know that Michael Douglas was the producer. Now, Catherine Zeta-Jones, we all know best supporting actress for her role in Chicago. She's been in Entrapment Traffic. And uh, she also, her breakout role, I didn't know, was in The Mask of Zorro as Elena Montero. Interesting. Also, we have Will Smith. Can we talk about Will Smith? Or maybe I shouldn't. Anyway, happy birthday, Will Smith, 55. We'll leave it there. And Mark Hamill, we can talk about him. Luke Skywalker in the original Star Wars trilogy. He got the drama desk award nomination for the elephant man he did voice acting work as the joker on batman the animated series and characters on the tv series regular show from 2009 to 2015. now i have three social media stars who are going to you've never heard of them but you're going to wish them a happy birthday just because i said so so we have a young lady named carly k-a-r-l-e-e Steele. she's on youtube and she's a you now star and the only reason we're celebrating her 25th birthday is that she has 1.1 million subscribers on youtube what do you think are you there yet beverly are you there yet no <laughs> i'm teasing you darling you know that I'm i know 25 too there you go now we have somebody named <laughs> We have somebody named Shin Lim. He's a, a young Asian man. He's 32 today. He only has 1.2 million subscribers on YouTube. He was the 2015 World FISM champion for close-up card magic. He calls himself a sleight-of-hand artist. He won the 13th season of America's Got Talent in 2018 and the first winner of America's Got Talent, the champions, in 2020. 2019, and he has 1.2 million subscribers. And then we have somebody named MC Shem, S-H-E-M. He's 33 today. Happy birthday. He only has, are you sitting down, Stephen? Mm -hmm. Julie, I see sitting down. Beverly looks like she's, Stephen, he has 5 million followers on TikTok, but only a mere 900,000 on YouTube. Poor guy. Uh, he's a That's comedian, rough. an actor. He's a wedding MC. We all need to change our profession. He makes funny and relatable videos that ho focus on African homes and African culture, and he's done something about a twerking movie in an African home. I don't even want to know about that. Okay, here's some, uh, so, some. oh, we're almost out of time. It's National Quesadilla Day. It was Yom Kippur. I said that already. It's Math Storytelling Day. That's for you, Julie. Created in 2009 by Dr. Maria Dukova, inspired by Seth Godin's blog, What Should I Do on My Birthday? So she created Math Storytelling Day. It's National Daughters Day, Comic Book Day, John Day. Hello to anybody named John. It's it's Lobster Day, and it's also National One-Hit Wonder Day. In 1990, music lover and journalist Steve Rosen said, November, September 25th, National One-Hit Wonder Day to pay homage and celebrate long-forgotten artists, and it's his birthday. So Cable News Network, Cable VH1, on October, June 7th, 1999, had a documentary called Where Are They Now? And the first episode went to the Weather Girls, uh-huh, Starland Vocal Band, heard of them, Frank Stallone, Rupert Holmes, Anna Motion, Tipaw, Rex Smith, Terry Jack, Soft Cell, the Vapors, House of Pain, and Tracy Ullman, 
There you go. That's all we have time for. Let's say we have, we have, uh, oh, less than one minute. I want you all to just very, very quickly um, give a website real fast. V, V, V. Stephen, 12 Willows One, Press. two, willowspress.com. Thank you. Uh, Julie, where? LinkedIn. Julie Burke, IP Quality Pro on LinkedIn. J U L I E B U R K E. Beverly, where? Thesavvylist.com. That's the and then S A Victor Victor Y list. Com. Thank you very much. Join me in the following Life is Short, Break the Rules, Forgive Quickly. Ah, don't go away. We're going to take pictures. Kiss slowly. Mwah! Love truly. Laugh uncontrollably. Laugh with me. <laughs> and never regret anything. Thank you, Stephen, that made you smile. Here we go. Work like you don't in the money because nobody else cares. Dance like no one's watching. When I dance, they watch. Sing like nobody's listening. I try not to sing. And love like you've never been hurt. We all have. Let it heal. Get over it. Let yourself love again. Money talks. Chocolate sings. La. And last but not least, I stole this line from someone else. Thank you for turning me on. Everybody wave goodbye, Radio Red. Don't go away. Guess we're going to take pictures. Thanks again for tuning in to Read My Lips Radio presented by the Voice America Variety Channel. Tweet your questions and comments to at Radio Red 777. Join host, a.k.a. Radio Red, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We wish you a positively cool, creative week.